What a blessing it is to be here tonight, and uh, I'm so thankful for this congregation. I'm thankful to get to see Brother Chuck. Brother Chuck, I have your name has just it has crossed paths with me for many years, and we appreciate the good works that you and sister have done through 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 the years. Uh, I want to say also how much I appreciate Russ. Uh, Russ, I forgot your name, forgot his wife's name, but that's the way it always is, isn't it? And uh, we just appreciate you've always made me feel so welcome here and. We just love you guys. We're thankful that you've been here. Always glad to see Brother and Sister Smith back here. And uh, we're so thankful of their lives and the years and the time that they've been in this congregation. And uh, we, we uh, very much love and appreciate you guys and appreciate everything that you've had, the part that you've had in this work. I want to say as we're going forward here that it's been, I think, about 17 years since I first met you all. Uh, you got involved with us when the tsunami hit India. And uh, so I came to make a report about that. And so through the years, you continue to be a part of this work. So as we go through the presentation tonight, I'm not here to just entertain you. I'm here to see, uh, we want God to be glorified. We want to see things tonight that at the end of it will cause us to say God is great. Not only that, but you know, Hebrews chapter 10, 24, 25 says we're to consider one another, to provoke one another, to love and to good works. And I hope that the things that are said tonight will encourage you and will provoke you in the Lord. And uh, as you get to see things that are going on on the other side of the world and see your brothers and sisters there uh, that you'll be able to spend eternity with. I also want to say that, you know, there, there have been a really a lot of great things that have happened in India. And I don't want anybody to get the idea that we're bragging about anything. Uh, my wife, uh, let me say me, okay, not my wife and I. I'm not a smart man, and that's okay, uh, because God is, and, uh, and, that, and that's, that's what's important. And so if anybody thinks that I'm bragging, I often think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27 uh, that says that God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And the only reason that I can think that he will let me be a part of this great work in India is because it makes a bunch of smart people sit around and scratch their heads. And, uh, but, uh, so I don't want anybody to think that we are bragging about anything. It's God's work and God get the glory and we want to be sure that God is glorified. We look at India, India's on the other side of the world. Uh, if you drill through California to come through the other side of the earth, you might come up in India or somewhere in the Indian Ocean. Uh, but it's, it's almost directly on the other side of the world. As you're looking and you see that triangle shape up there, it looks like a very small country as compared to the rest of the world. But listen, brothers and sisters, one-sixth of the world's population, more than one-sixth of the world's population is right there inside of that red triangle. And uh, so population is very heavy. Uh, we work in the state of Tamil Nadu which is down in the southern part of India. Tamil Nadu is the size of the state of North Carolina where we drove from yesterday morning. And, uh, but the population of Tamil Nadu is nine times the po population of the state of North Carolina. So that gives you some kind of an idea as to the number of people that, uh, that we have and we, and we, uh, and we serve. Uh, India is 95% uh, Hindu country. Uh, they bow down before false uh, false gods, idols. You know, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, it says that just by looking at the things that are around us, we can know that God exists. And But without this Bible, you don't know who God is. So all over the world, there are people that know that God exists, 
but they're in religions that are based on superstition instead of being based on truth. Because without this, nobody knows who God is. Nobody knows how many gods there are. They don't know if God is a male or a female. They don't know if God is good or God is bad without this. And, uh, but of course, getting this to the rest of the world, that's our responsibility. And, uh, but anyway, Jeremiah talks about this in Jeremiah chapter 10. He said, one cuts a tree in the forest, decks it with silver and gold, fastens it with nails and hammers that it moved not. Uh, you know, we, uh, and, and, and when I read this, I often think about how that uh, God holds me up. I don't, I don't serve a God that I have to prop up or that I have to hold up. My God, he holds me up. And uh, I don't serve a God that I have to carry around because my God, he carries me. And, uh, and, and, and I dwell in it. That's what it says in Acts chapter 17. It's in him that we live and move and have our very being. Because he is a living God. He is not uh, any kind of an idol. But we see people, they cut idols like this. Then once those, all these things are done, they bow, bow down to these things and they worship them. And uh, it's just, you know, when I first saw that, when I first went to India, I thought this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. One day it hit me, if I had been born in that country and had been raised in a Hindu family, I would probably be doing the same thing unless someone from the church Christ came to me and taught me the difference. And so what a responsibility uh, that we have. This is a Hindu temple, a man who's bowed down before uh, many of, there are thousands of false gods in India. Uh, here we have a Hindu man, this Hindu temple, almost every corner of every block in every city has a Hindu temple. And, uh, and very educated people also uh, who, who, who actually participate in this. They serve their idols, which were a snare unto them. I do think that part of the reason that we have a lot of third world countries uh, that we have is because of an ignorance of God. Uh, you know, righteousness exalts a nation. And when people are giving glory to, to idols and false gods for the rain and for the food and for all of those things, those people are not blessed like people who worship and serve the true and living God. But uh, very sad, but one of, the, one of the most beautiful things about this work is that we're bringing people from this point to the point of sitting beside of us in a worship service and watching their mouth actually sing, the mouth that God gave them, singing to praise and give, and give glory to God and praise his name. Uh, that's a beautiful transition to see. And, uh, and we do get to experience that a lot. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had into you and how that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. I use that phrase all the time, the living and true God. That's a scriptural phrase from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. That is the God that we serve. And of course, that's what Paul was saying in Acts chapter 17 when he was talking to the Athenians who were idol worshipers also. Now this verse comes from 1 Thessalonians. Of course, Thessalonica was just, you know, uh, Athens was here and, and Thessalonica was just over here. And so a lot of that Greek influence, the same kind of Greek false gods that Paul was talking about in Acts chapter 17 are the same things that they were doing in Thessalonica that they were talking about here. Seeing people turn to serve the living and true God is a beautiful thing. Uh, this, uh, this verse, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14 uh, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, all nations and languages should serve him. 
I love this scripture because like many scriptures, and especially scriptures in the book of Daniel, I love the book of Daniel, uh, but this shows that every individual that has ever been created on this earth was created, was, was, was made for the purpose of serving the true and living God. Every person, regardless of nation, regardless of language, re regardless of, you know, uh, loca loca uh, uh, locality, they were made for the purpose of serving God. Uh, this is one of the night places where uh, I'd gone to preach. I don't get to preach as much in India anymore as I used to because it's a, it has become a very anti-Christian government. Uh, as a matter of fact, the government that is there now uh, made their brags. Uh, prime Minister Modi, uh, who is the Prime Minister of India, is very anti-Christian. He is very, very much part of the radical Hindu. Uh, and when he came into power, uh, those were the people who put him into power. And they made their brags that they would rid India of Christianity by 2025. And I don't think that's going to happen, but they're doing a really good job a lot of brothers I know who used to be able to get into India can't get in anymore. Uh, we're very thankful because we have a, a business visa. I'm a businessman, and we export just as many items as possible from India to the United States so that I can continue to get in there and work on a business visa. But uh, anyway, the only time I can really preach anymore is when we get out really off of the main, off the main path, off the grid and uh, where, where nobody will see. Uh, this is a wonderful year that we had last year. It just keeps getting better and better. In 2021, there were 15,820 baptisms. Uh, but the number below it is the number that I really love, 128,160 heard. And the reason I like that, that number below it is because that's our job. We're told to go, we're told to preach, and, and God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul says, I planted Apollos watered. God gave the increase. So the baptism number, that's God giving the increase. The number of Bible studies that were conducted, the number of people who heard last year, that is our responsibility. So I feel good about that. 207 new congregations. That's not the 25 years we've been working in India. That's last year. 207 new congregations were established just last year. And uh, so, you know, the church is growing, the kingdom is growing. Uh, I went back, I started eight years ago, we started keeping records uh, with regard to the baptisms. And uh, so you can see the, these numbers have been increasing through the years. Uh, I remember when I turned 50 years old, by the way, Chuck's about two years older than me, just so y'all know. But uh, I, I, I know when I turned 50 years old, I said to my wife, I said, you know, you can just remember this I think that the 50 years was the greatest year of my life. And when I die, probably I'm going to remember 50 as being the greatest year of my life because we had so much progress that was made in work in India, but it wasn't the best year. 51 was better. 52 got better than that. Every year has gotten better and better. I'm 67 now. And oh, I just told your age, brother. I'm sorry, but uh, I'm 67 now. And uh, and every year has gotten better and better. And last year was better still. So we're very thankful for the growth that we're seeing. Now, here's the next number. This is the number that I really love. Uh, this, is the, uh, this, is the, this is the retention rate. Uh, we go because it doesn't do any good to just baptize people if you don't keep them in the faith. 
uh, we're working to grow the church, not to baptize people. And, uh, and my Indian brothers are very zealous about that. They love the congregations they have established. They work to build those congregations. When we go back over the last five years, and we do this pretty often, we do a census to see how many people are still faithful because we want to be sure that we're on the right track and, and going with programs that are really educating the people and really building faith in the church members. And when we go back and we look at it, actually 87% is the last number that we came up with. Some places you go, it may be 70%. Some places you go, it may be 95%. But the average comes out to about 87%. So I'll say 85% because I just want to be kind of conservative with those numbers. And I want to give God the glory because it's God who gave the increase. But 35% or 85% is that number. Uh, this is one of the graduations. We, we, we train men, 2 Timothy 2, 2, with the things which thou hast heard me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That is a multiplication process. Very important. Addition is one plus one equals two plus one equals three plus one equals four. That's a very slow way to build. But the plan that God gave us is a plan of multiplication. That what we know, we teach to others who shall be able to teach others. That is a multiplication plan. And uh, But this is the graduation that we had at E-Road. Uh, after we had the graduation, I asked the men to come up so we could take a photograph together. And just as we were getting ready to snap this, it's been three years now that they've been in school, but just as we were getting ready to snap the picture, I said, okay, hold up fingers for the number of congregations you have established in the last three years. Because when the men are in the school, they're supposed to work to establish a congregation in their village. And as a matter of fact, our, in our schools, we revamped everything about six or seven years ago and the instructors actually go into the villages where these men live to teach classes and to train them and to go have Bible studies, you know, and, and, and to help them get congregations started in their villages. So you'll see some men have got one finger up, some have two, a few have three. I know some men that I work with who are preaching for five congregations every Sunday that they have started through the years. And you notice down there across the bottom of the screen, uh, these are self-supported preachers. Uh, I want to just I want to just stop right here and ask you to please put down a peg and remember that about this work. Everything that we do, we do so that the church will stand independent of foreign support in India. And uh, so we tell these men when they come into school, when you graduate, there will be no support. We do not support preachers. And uh, and you know, Paul, that was okay. When Paul went to Athens, he made tents. He had to do that. When he went to Corinth, he made tents. When he was in Thessalonica, he made tents. And so these are what we call tent-making preachers. You know, sometimes they come to me and they say, brother, you know, I could do so much more if I had support. And I say, yeah, you, you may be right. And so what you need to do is you need to go start more congregations and convert more people because your support needs to come from India and not from America. And so that makes the churches strong. It makes them, it makes them independent. So the beautiful thing is, I told you about the 207 congregations that were established last year. Those congregations, almost every one of them are manned by a self-supported preacher. So if we die on our way back home, it's not going to affect those 207 congregations. They're going to stand on their own. 
That's one of the most beautiful things. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yeah, it is. Y'all are listening, aren't you? Uh, this, is, uh, this is Samuel's men. Uh, this is one of the finest schools of preaching, and he's one of the finest. We, I work with some of the best evangelists in all of the world, hands down. And uh, this is Brother Samuel that I'm shaking his hand here. He doesn't look very smart, but he is. And, uh, you know, we're sitting there. Now, Romans 10, 15 says, How beautiful are the feet of those that bring glad tidings of peace and so forth. We're working to put more boots on the ground. That's why we keep seeing the numbers growing. It's because more and more men are being trained. You guys have been helping us do that for all these years. And this is your work. You're a part of this work. And, uh, but Brother Samuel, we were getting ready to have this graduation. And I said, so what kind of numbers have we had from this class? And they told me, and I said, brother, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm really thankful for what you're saying, but I don't believe it. And, uh, and I, I said, it just, it, it just sounds too good to me. And so they said, okay. And so they went and they got the report and they came in with the work report. And you'll notice 13 men, 13 men, there, there are their names. There are the congregations that those men have started. And there are the list of men that they have baptized that comes to 2,283 in three years. Now, the beautiful thing is that I can go to any one of those men on that list and I can say, I want to come to your congregation to worship with you. And I can go straight there. And that congregation is there. And those people are there. So these numbers that I'm giving you are real numbers. And they're true numbers. And, uh, and, and, and this is, you know, it's, it's, it's in writing, as a matter of fact. This is a, a group of denominational preachers. Uh, many years ago, people came through and... You know, they converted uh, people in denominations. They taught them for like three months in a Bible program, and then they left. And so these men then have started congregations through the years. They are very zealous, but they have a zeal without knowledge. Now, our men are really, really Bible students and uh, wonderful teachers. And so uh, we gave them the opportunity. This is what we call an open Bible school program. It's every Saturday for three months. These preachers are so excited because they come and sit at the feet of our instructors and our instructors teach them. Consequently, they've never learned about the church. They've never learned the plan of salvation. And those who have a good heart, they're willing to leave their support because a lot of these denominational men are being supported. They leave that and come out of that to obey the truth. And as a matter of fact, this group right here, when I was preaching on this particular day, there had been about eight of them who had been baptized. I checked on them a few days ago. Twenty men now out of this group have been baptized. It is a wonderful thing to go to a building and you pull up in the front and it says Church of Christ. And when you look real closely, you can see the name of the old denomination that was underneath that. And that was all painted over and Church of Christ was painted there and put there. And that's some of the most exciting times of my life when I pull up and I see something like that. Uh, these are men that I work really closely with. There's 17 men that we plan together and work together. They're teachers in the schools. And uh, this was a retreat. We went for two days of just planning to try to figure out what we're going to do in the coming year. Uh, this was uh, this this was our morning prayer time, and uh, it's supposed to lasted for an hour. It lasted for about an hour and forty five minutes. But uh, 
I work very closely with these men. And uh, I tell them regularly, and, and I told them when we took this picture here, I said, y'all are just ugly. And none, there's, not a, there's not a pretty one in the whole bunch. And I said, but that's great because that just goes to show that converting a soul to Christ has nothing to do with how you look. You know, you can be bald-headed, you can be white-headed, you can whatever. It doesn't make any difference. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these men know that. Well, then I came up with a scripture that says that 2 Corinthians 11 verse 6 says, but though I be rude in speech, Paul says, though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things. So he says, you know, I may not look pretty. I may not speak real well. And, you know, the good thing, I really like being here in this part of the country because uh, you people here, Oklahoma, uh, you're like me. You don't have an accent. And uh, so that, you know, that, that makes it real easy for y'all to understand me and me understand y'all. But it doesn't matter how you look. And it's not what's, and, and we all relish in our ugliness, really, uh, because we understand and for a long time, I was looking at these men, and there's one of the most powerful evangelists. And uh, I, told, I told him, I said, Brother Solomon, I said, you know, I just got to say, you're like me. I said, both of us are just not very handsome men. And he said, yeah, that's right. I'm not a handsome man. I said, you know, for a long time, I was trying to figure you out because he's real quiet. He, he's not extroverted at all, but he's probably baptized more souls than anybody. I mean, thousands of souls. And I couldn't understand that. And then one day it dawned on me. He has a heart full of faith. He has a head full of the scriptures. And when you take the scriptures and you put that with faith and you couple those two, you have an explosive situation. And that's what these men have. They are men of God. They are faithful men. And, uh, you know, they've turned up persecution. Uh, this is David. David was beaten last year. He had baptized five people in his village. And they came and, and they took a fence post out of his front yard and right in front of his family out in his front yard, they broke his leg several times. They broke his arm. And uh, so David would then was, uh, that's not even a hospital, but uh, uh, he was, uh, he was, he was, we, we've got a lot of our brothers who have been beaten lately. But uh, the, uh, every time this happens, God blesses the work. It, it just flourishes in the areas where these things happen. And they're, they're very faithful to be willing to go in. And this is something I'm really excited about. We just got through printing 30,000 New Testaments in Tamil. And aren't you excited about that? That we have 30,000 copies of the New Testament going into these Hindu homes in South India. Uh, it's hard to have a Bible study with somebody that doesn't have a Bible. And, but these are going to be gone very fast. It's kind of like pouring a bucket of water in the ocean. But uh, we're really excited. We, 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 we were able to cost $35,000 to print 30,000 copies. We got that done. Now we've moved to get these printed in Telugu, which is the language just north of us in Andhra Pradesh, because now we're working in that, in that area also. When they got ready to... Uh, when they got ready to print these, these were being printed by the Bible Society in India. And they said, well, we have 16 pages in the front so that you can write whatever you want to. So the brothers came to me and said, we don't know what to write. What should we do? Well, it was really hard to reduce that down to these subjects. But this is the title on those 16 pages. 
talking about God, talking about his love, talking about Jesus Christ, talking about his church, talking about the plan of salvation, that's in the front of all of these Bibles that are being distributed. How do y'all feel about that? Are you as excited about that as I am? I'm, I'm really, I mean, when you can print the word of God and put it into people's hands in a third world country like this, it is a wonderful thing. Uh, of course, there's a lot of poverty in India. Uh, this is uh, also some of the people who will be, uh, these are some of the Bibles that we gave here uh, because these were some of the people that, are, that had obeyed the gospel. And, uh, you know, COVID hit us really hard. I think this congregation may have sent a contribution to help with some of the COVID relief. Uh, what they're doing here that you see, the, 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 the buyers for burning the bodies were not sufficient. They just, there were so, people were dying so fast. We have a lot of people, a lot of friends who died. A lot of our preachers died in India. And, uh, and uh, so uh, that's what they're, what they're doing here is they're just, they're just trying, to, trying to burn bodies. Uh, people were starving to death. They came in and they just locked down the country. So I went to the elders and I said, brothers, if we could just feed 10,000 people. And so we need to raise the money to just feed 10,000 people for a short amount of time. And so they approved that. We got the, we got the money raised, uh, sent it to India. The brothers, when it got there, they took their money and put with it and saved money and scrimped and did whatever they could and fed 25,000 people is what they wound up doing. And then in the end, in the end, uh, there were three, about 3,000 uh, from the COVID relief uh, that were baptized in the end. And uh, it broke my heart because I uh, had the story of this man who woke up one morning and it was about six o'clock and he wouldn't, he, he laid there quietly because he didn't want to wake his children up because his children had gone to sleep crying because they didn't have food and he knew there still wasn't food. And so he was just trying to be quiet so the kids wouldn't wake up because he knew they were going to be crying again. Can you imagine? I just, that when, when that, my children, my grandchildren, when I thought about that, when I heard that story, I thought we've got to do something, you know, whatever we can do, we've got to do something. But uh, anyway, this is Brother Embrage, because everywhere we went, you know, we preached the gospel. Uh, I would rather die with an empty belly and, and, and have the living bread in my mind and in my heart to have eternal salvation. And uh, so everywhere we went, we took advantage of, of uh, teaching about Jesus Christ, teaching the truth. Like I said, there was you know, some people that just shouldn't be wearing tank tops. But... Uh, we, uh, this is one of the places where I went because in COVID, we were having a hard time, uh, worried, we were concerned about how we were going to keep people in the faith. And because there was a lockdown, I mean, a severe lockdown, such that if you were called out, the police would beat you. And, uh, and so uh, this was just right after it had been, they had just opened up a little bit. I got into India and I was going from place to place to discuss with the brethren, what are we going to do to keep these new souls in the faith? Uh, the man that's standing up here, I pointed to him and I said, how many souls have you baptized in the last 18 months? And it was 55 or 57. Um, I said, how many of those have fallen back? He said, none have fallen back. All the other men in the room, they started shaking their heads because they know him. 
And uh, I said, so what have you done? Because you're in lockdown, what have, you, what have you done to keep the church together and to visit or whatever we need to know? And he said, we never stopped meeting. He said, one of the congregations, I would go and we would have the worship service at three o'clock in the morning. And I would go to the other congregation and we would have the worship service at four o'clock in the morning. And I said, what kind of a, attendance did you have at three o'clock in the morning? And he said, the attendance went up. And I thought, I believe that because what we need is sacrifice. We need to pay something for this faith that we have. You know, if you don't pay much for, for a thing, then, you know, that's why kids get out sometimes burn the tires off of their car because daddy bought the tires instead of them. The more we sacrifice and the more we invest in our faith and our religion, the more faithful we're going to be the more precious it is to us. And so anyway, I got ready to leave. These men are self-supported preachers. I haven't seen them in many, many years. And they may have been my students, you know, 20 years ago. I don't know. But uh, we got ready to leave. And I said, you guys have traveled a long way here. You paid your bus fares. Uh, you've, you paid for your lunch. We're going to give each of you $7, the equivalent to $7.50 today to pay for your expenses to come here. And you had to miss work today to come here. And they were just elated. They were so thrilled because they thought all of that was coming out of their pocket. And it made me feel about this tall. And I said, uh, we're going to do better. We're going to give you all $15 a piece. So I hope that's okay with you all. Uh, they were so thrilled. And uh, I love these brothers. I love this work. I had been in India when COVID started uh, 2020, January, taught the book of Revelation for a month. And... Uh, so while I was there, Solomon, I asked Solomon, I said, Solomon, what can we do to really help your work? And he said, well, if we had an auto rickshaw, that's what that little yellow thing is, then the men, when they're having Bible studies in the villages at night and the buses quit running, we could go and pick up those men because they're walking till way up in the night to get home. And then they've got to get up and go to work the next morning. And uh, so thought about that. It sounded like a good investment. It was $5,000. And... Uh, I said, but what we can do, if you had a very small van, we can buy that for the same price. And he said, no, brother, you don't understand. We can't put but 12 men in a van. We can put 21 men on an auto rickshaw. And I said, okay, what was I thinking? You're right. So we had this thing, it says Church Christ across the front of it. And so what happened is in the lockdown, our brothers took, they went out and bought bottles of water and cookies and they started taking these bottles of water and cookies and giving them to the police. And after a couple of days, the police said, you people from the Church of Christ, we know what you're doing, and that's okay. And you go on and you do your work, and if anybody gives you any trouble, you come to us and we'll take care of you. So they became our bodyguards, and there was nothing running except our little yellow auto rickshaw running up and down the streets, serving people and taking care of people. It's a beautiful thing. God is great. Uh, this is uh, one of the areas where we had helped. Uh, this is the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, it talks about it in, in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Uh, I believe this is the utter, uttermost parts of the earth. Uh, another thing that we had is because the church has grown so much, we had over a hundred COVID widows. There were over a hundred women in the church, in the church, who had lost their husbands to COVID. And uh, so what we do in India is we buy goats. 
and we buy five goats, for instance, this lady raises these goats, she sells the milk, she has her newborn goats she sells, and they are independently, uh, you know, they're independent. They, from, from that point on, they can take care of themselves. And so, uh, but that was a, a very big program that we had to do during COVID. One of the things I discussed with the brothers last year, two new programs, I said we want to have a program where we come in and we have uh, we have uh, soul winning workshops for church members and teach the church members how to evangelize instead of you men being the ones that do all of that. And also satellite schools. In the satellite schools, uh, what we're doing now, instead of starting new schools of preaching, we start a what we call a satellite school because we go into an area where there are not many congregations. We establish a school for two years. At the end of two years, the teacher goes back to his regular job. That school folds up, and we go somewhere, and we start another one. The beautiful thing about it is that school is not dependent on any foreign source or any foreign support, and that's the, that's the objective behind that. But anyway, I discussed it with the men. They were very excited about it. This was the first of those workshops. Money, Monterey, Money, Monterey. You look If you look closely, you can see Kathy going in the front door there. And so we got inside, Kathy was sitting back there and I saw her take a picture. I thought she was taking a picture of me up preaching, and, uh, but she wasn't, she was taking a picture of the goat. You see the goat in the aisle? And because uh, a lot of times, a lot of times you'll be preaching, there'll be a whole, a whole herd of goats will come through. Sometimes a whole flock of chickens will come through. And if you ever have a flock of chickens come through here, don't, I mean, if it's goats, run them out. But if it's chickens, leave them because they will make a mess. And uh, anyway, we're supposed to preach to every creature. That's, that's why, sorry. But I got up that day to preach and I looked at these men and I thought this is the biggest bunch of deadheads I've ever seen in my life. And I don't know if we're ever, you know when you go out and you've got a car sitting in a barn and it's been there for 10 or 15 years and you're gonna turn over the ignition and you're hoping that thing will turn and I was looking at these men and I was thinking, I hope you'll turn because they just, they just didn't really grab me as being super enthusiastic. And, uh, but, you know, all day that day we preached and taught about souls. And that night, because they were supposed to be in the seminar for two days, then on the third day we're going to go out and canvas and set up Bible studies. That night they got so excited they went home, called their relatives and said, you don't understand, you're lost. You've got to hear the gospel. They brought their relatives the next day. We had Bible studies, baptized eight the next day. The next day we baptized 21. And uh, so anyway, that's just, that's one of the new programs. Here's one of those new satellite schools that I was talking about. Uh, this is, I went to, uh, on the last trip, I went to all of the new, we have eight satellite schools started this year. And so I go around and meet the men in those satellite schools and explain to them the rules and everything to get into one of our schools, you can't just walk in and you can't just say, I want to go to school. Uh, you have three exams and you have to pass those exams. The first one, when they come in, we give them a piece of paper and we say, write your 50 memory verses. They sit down, they write your 50 memory verses. If they get that, they go to the next exam. If they get that, they go to the next exam. Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.2, to train faithful men who shall be able to teach, teach others also, not flakes. Y'all know any preachers who are flakes? Present company accepted, you know. 
But there are flaky preachers all over this country and men who are not sincere. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. And you know it and I know it. We don't train flaky men. We want men who are dedicated and sincere. And three exams are a real good way to try to figure out who is a faithful man. And uh, But uh, this is Kathy sitting up here. Uh, I'm so blessed that God married me to her. She's an accountant and a good one. And uh, she crosses every T and dots every I. Uh, she comes to India. She sits down. She comes through the books and every one of the programs, compares the receipts, compares how the money was spent and looks at that. And then the report is made to the elders. And uh, that frees me up. She spends, she spends hours and hours every week on this stuff, maybe 20 hours a week. And, uh, but it frees me up to where I can evangelize, work in programs. And so it's such a blessing. Uh, sadly, when we came through Newark Airport, coming back into the US, uh, our plane was diverted. We went up 25 hours on one plane because of the war. And, uh, and, uh, and so in March, she had a heart attack when we got to Newark in the Newark airport. But she's all right now. And, uh, you know, she just, uh, we've still got a lot of tread on her. We're not finished with her. But uh, anyway, the doctor says she has, a, she has a healthy heart. We also have five children's homes now. There are five. We've had to start two. Uh, because of COVID and people uh, losing, uh, losing their parents. Uh, the number one thing in our children's homes is Bible knowledge because we have to get the kids. Everything we do is geared around souls. We got to get these kids to heaven and they've got to get as many people to heaven as they can. And so Bible knowledge is number one. And so even during the COVID time, I told myself we're going to have a Bible bee competition and we're not going to give you the questions in advance because I don't want you to just memorize the answer to the questions. It will be over Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. And so if you know those books and study those books, you will be able to answer the questions. Well, I did not know they were going to do this, but these kids memorized Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. It is really hard when you start eight hours later. Uh, it, took, it was eight hours before I realized they had memorized these books and I was trying to trick them up. We were rejoicing every time a kid got a question wrong, you know, because I was thinking this is going to go forever. How many questions can you come up with from Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians in eight hours time? And, uh, but they had memorized those books. So I just started calling out references of random verses and they would quote them. And, uh, finally we had to declare in the end six children. We said, okay, you six are the winners. We just can't keep going with this. And uh, this is Isaki. Uh, this is Isaki was preaching uh, when I when we left the last, this past trip. He was preaching, had a wonderful lesson. I went to him and asked for his outline because I want to develop that. Uh, we have about probably twenty boys that if they were sitting here, I could point to one of them and say, "Get up and preach us a sermon," and he would probably say, "What subject do you want it to be?" and uh, because they have a good Bible knowledge. Kathy and I are very much loved by these children. Uh, these girls snuck over because we were in a meeting and they were afraid they were not going to get to see us. And so quietly they snuck over. When we came out of that meeting, there they were waiting, waiting for us. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? I told Kathy, I said, don't tell anybody it's my birthday. And she said, okay, I won't because I don't like that attention. And so we pulled up at the campus at DNI and there was the gate. 
and went in and all these kids had made gifts. And as I walked down the middle, they stepped forward and gave me their homemade gifts. It was a very sweet time. And uh, we are so blessed. This is one of the new homes. This is the Morningstar home. Uh, this is the way our children sleep. They sleep on a concrete floor uh, because we don't Americanize them. Our kids, when they get away from us, they're gonna have to live in India in this culture. Uh, as a matter of fact, most of the years up until now, we haven't had running water because most people in India have to carry their water. When our kids go out, we want them to have no problems adapting to the culture that they live in. And, uh, but anyway, this is, uh, this is the, uh, some, of the, some, of those, some of those children, that little boy right there, uh, he's only been with us two months, but he buttoned his collar and he stood up, quoted all the books of the Bible, and then he just started quoting memory verses. And, uh, and we're, we're just so thankful for him. We're thankful for the staff. Uh, this is a building I've designed that we just bought two acres of property. This is the first building, but we've already outgrown it. And uh, uh, this is, uh, we had the groundbreaking ceremony, as you see in this picture. Uh, this is the building that's under construction. Even though that building is taken now and is full, uh, when the property was laid out originally, we had building number two will go here, building number three here, building number four here. So it's already in the plan and we'll be ready to start building number two as soon as this one is done. And uh, we had an auto rickshaw <laughs> that was bought at this campus and I've never driven one of those things. And so it was one of those, you know, it's what I saw it sitting out there in the field and it just kind of kept tempting me like, come on, you can do it. So I just went out there and cranked it up and just started driving it. Well, the staff took off running. They were scared to death because they didn't even know I knew how to drive anyway. They were trying to catch me because I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Uh, we stopped at the bakery on the way out to Morningstar because these children just don't get stuff like this. And uh, so we stopped at the bakery. We got out there. Uh, the, the, the cook came and the cook said, no, 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 you can't do this. These children have not had their dinner yet and you're going to spoil their dinner. You remember your mom saying that when you were young? And uh, I said, listen, I'm a grandpa. And when my grandchildren want something to eat, they get it. And I said, I am giving these kids cake and I don't care if they don't eat a bite of their dinner tonight. And, and they were, she was like, okay, that's fine. And so that gives you some kind of an idea why they make gifts and, and decorate the gates and everything, you know, because they do love us. The little boy that you see there on the left, his name is Pranal. He's eight years old. Uh, Pranal, uh, he and his sister, their parents died uh, when he was two years old. She had to go to work as a teenager to support the two of them there was nobody to take care of him. And so every morning she would get up and tie him in a chair and lock the door and leave and go to work. And then she would come home after dark. And when I thought, when I heard that story, I thought, oh, that's so cruel. You know, she didn't have any choice. There was nothing else she could do. So that little boy for six years was tied in a chair every day, all day. Uh, when we got him, his head was over to the side because that's the way he was tied. And it took a long time for him to straighten his head up. He communicates now. He talks with the other children. What he's doing here, this is the first time he's ever had ice cream in his life. And uh, Kathy said to him, she said, did you get 
did you get a, a bowl of ice cream? And he said, no. He said, I got two. And, uh, and so he had his tongue and he was rolling his tongue around in the bottom of that thing. Uh, but a lot of our kids, just from time to time, we get ice cream for them. They love that. And uh, so there's Pranav. Uh, this is Money Shop. She's a new girl we just took in. Uh, her father died from AIDS. Her mother has AIDS. And is to the point now to where she cannot take care of Money Shop. So very sad for her mother to have to bring her to us and ask us to raise her and take care of her daughter. And uh, we held our breath for a week or two because she had to be tested and she came back clean. She does not have AIDS. And so we're very thankful for that. We're thankful that we have a place. You know, for many years we saw these children, we didn't have a place for them. God has provided that now. And it's a wonderful thing when we see a situation like this and we're able to say, yes, you come, we will take care of you. And they have no idea that they've come to the greatest place in the world because not only will they be fed and clothed, but they're going to have an opportunity of salvation, which is a very rare thing in India. So that's Money Show. This is our new bus at the DAI campus. Every morning, the kids for years, they've been pushing this thing and then they run and jump on it to go to school. And I keep thinking, we've got to do something about the bus. We just bought a new bus. And so we're excited. Oh, there they go. The, uh, it did work for us, and, uh, but even the house mothers, and they're getting old, they get out there and they push this thing, and, uh, but uh, we, do have, we do have a new bus now. We're excited about that. Our children work. This is our concrete block making machine. Everything a machine in India. You know, this thing that you do this with would be a face shaving machine. Everything is a machine. This is the block making machine. And our boys make the concrete blocks, I brought in a block mason. He trained our boys how to lay blocks. And so they're building a wall around our campus. And guess what? When they go out on their own now, they're going to be block masons. And block masons make good money in India. Uh, this is uh, Samson. He drives the tractor, loves tractors. And he's 17 years old. He's getting the rice field ready for, uh, for us to plant rice. And uh, uh, this is our... YWLA, our leadership program for the ladies and for the boys, our children, when they get to be 17 or 18 years old, uh, we have to train them like a parent has to get his children ready. So this is a Bible program, vocational training program for the girls and for the boys. It's a new program. The teachers are evangelists. And so when the teachers get ready to go out on a door knocking campaign, they take the boys with them. And these boys have really become good evangelists themselves. But uh, this is the tailoring class. This is the last slide. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Isn't God great? He's doing great things on the other side of the world. He's a compassionate God who cares, who gave his son. And uh, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for everything that you've done for this work for all of these years. And you're a part of this. And it's the body working together. And I hope you feel good about that. Uh, we want to have an invitation before we leave. Not too long ago, uh, I was thinking about a courtroom scene. We used to watch some of these law and order things and stuff like that. You know, it got so bad. Finally, we just couldn't watch them anymore because they would just blow your mind at the stuff that's there. But, uh, 
You know, I had it. I imagined being uh, being the defendant in a courtroom, and uh, Satan coming in with his angels coming in with boxes, and saying, "Here's a box, and this box is is all of Don's times that he's been guilty of idolatry, or this is a time when he's been guilty of greed." Here's another box. This is all the times when he's done this or that. And so there's all of these boxes and boxes of evidence and all of these angels of Satan saying, you cannot let this man go free because of all of this evidence that we have. And I'm just sitting there at my table with no hope, except I'm not sitting alone. My advocate, who's mentioned in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, is sitting with me. And in my vision or dream, my advocate says, open your boxes. And when they open the boxes, there's not a single solitary piece of paper in any box. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has taken away all of those sins. So we ask you tonight, are your boxes empty? We come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 22 and verse 16. Now why tears thou rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, coming into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ so that our sins can be washed away and our boxes will be empty. We can help you with that tonight. If you need the prayers of the church, whatever your need may be tonight, we invite you to come while together we stand and sing the invitation song. <laughs>